We read also this morning from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19. We'll be reading the first ten verses. Luke, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. And may God bless the the hearing and the further preaching shortly of His Word. Dear congregation, we, we look now at Luke chapter 19. We've begun a new chapter. And boys and girls, I know that you are very aware of the story of this little man, Zacchaeus, and how he wanted to see Jesus. And he climbed up on a sycamore tree. And as Jesus passed that way, it is Jesus who wanted to look upon Zacchaeus and commanded him to come down. even said, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And at the result of all that happened, the Lord Jesus says in verse 9, This day is salvation come to this house. That is how we interpret what happened to Zacchaeus' heart. All that was happening, even what impelled him to go and run and to see Jesus and to climb a tree. The Lord had been working in his heart. And then verse 10 he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's this verse that gives us the theme of of this message, Jesus seeking and saving. This is what Jesus is doing. And we'll, we'll look at this passage, looking at Zacchaeus first and his actions, as we see in the narrative, Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, because that is actually, obviously happening. Zacchaeus wants to see him. Um, he had heard of Jesus He had not yet seen him. He wanted to see who he was, possibly in Zacchaeus' mind. He thought, whenever there's less people, whenever I find out where Jesus is, where there's less commotion, I want to know who he is so I can go to him. It said that he wanted to to see him. Um, 
And then also we'll look, secondly, at Jesus seeking Zacchaeus because we realize that this, this is what ends up being revealed in the text, that Jesus even knew his name and calls him and invites himself to his house. And, and so our first point is Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. Our second is Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. And the connection of this passage with the very last one, the very last part, portion of Luke 18 was the Lord Jesus um, meeting that blind beggar, remember, who also wanted to see Jesus, but couldn't because he was blind. But he ended up seeing Jesus because he was healed and he was also saved. And the focus in that little narrative was the faith of that blind beggar. Who, who even despite people telling him to stop talking and that, that basically Jesus had more important things to do, um, yet Jesus did tell him to come. Jesus rebuked those people and listened to him. Right now, there's something very similar. It's another man who can't see Jesus because he's too little. And there's too many people and, and, and he, he can't see Christ because of the press. But he ended up seeing Jesus and even ended up hosting Jesus and he was also saved by Jesus. And the whole focus in, in Zacchaeus' narrative is not only his faith, it's obvious that he had faith, but it's more his repentance. Um, because that's where, where the focus begin, becomes what Zacchaeus says that he is willing to do, his, his public confession after he spends some time with Christ. We, we don't know how long he would have interviewed with Christ, which made him publicly say what he said. But he does a public confession of sin. So his, his repentance is the focus. So when we look at these two passages with, with the blind beggar, the focus is his faith. And with Zacchaeus, the focus is his repentance. And often there is talk, and some people, even today, may be arguing and talking about what, what comes first. What is it that saves you? Is it repentance first, because then you have a broken heart and that causes you to trust in Jesus? Or should you first have faith, and through that faith you have strength to repent of your sins? And the, the truth is that there really is absolutely no order. And it's not really saying that to some people one is more important than the others. It's not that either. The truth is that both are intricately connected. When Zacchaeus repented, it was a believing repentance. And when that blind man trusted, it was a penitent trust. Um, John Murray, a theologian, said this, The faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith. And the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. You can't separate them. That is what true faith is. It is a faith that flees to Jesus away from sin. And that is what repentance is. It is a repenting of sins looking unto Christ. And this is what we have here. These, these two narratives, one right next to the other, is meant to help us realize that faith and repentance go hand in hand. They're never separate from each other. So let us look first at Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. And we, we look at, at the person of Zacchaeus himself. He, he lived in Jericho. Jesus was, he was 
entering Jericho and passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus was inside that city. He was a prominent man of that city, not in that he was well-favored or well-liked, but he was rich. He was the chief among the publicans in that city. Jericho was one of the three major cities where the greatest revenue of tax collecting came from. And so um, being a chief publican, that meant that he had risen in the ladder of tax collecting entrepreneurship. Um, He may have begun as one who was employed to go door-to-door harassing people that weren't making their payments. And then possibly he was promoted to sit at a table and actually do the collecting. And then later he began overseeing certain other collectors to the point where he was a leader of them all in the whole vicinity of Jericho. See, he was a chief. He was the chief among the publicans um, and, and added, and he was rich. Because he was the chief. The commentator Kent Hughes says he was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. Um, That's who he was. And like other publicans, um, he made his profit over the oppression of God's people. So just to think of of the reality of who he was, he he extorted money from people. He took money in ways that were illegal from people. He pressured people to pay even more than what was their due. He threatened people with violence when they would not pay. He, He would steal. He would cheat. He would lie. He would oppress. And since it was all so that the Roman government had their taxes... He was seen by God's people as a traitor to God Himself and to His people. So no wonder when Jesus says that He must abide at His house, we we read that people murmured in verse 7, saying that He was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. First take that at its own face value. This is who Zacchaeus was. Let's not start evaluating the hearts of the people who murmured. We're just talking about Zacchaeus. He was a thief. He was a criminal. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was an oppressor. He was not the kind of people that you and I would naturally have a desire to associate with. And remember this reality that not only it was below someone's dignity to associate with someone of that kind of life, of course what transpired in the minds of people would be the idea, is Christ possibly condoning with that kind of life? See, that was why many people wanted nothing to do with people who lived sinful life, because it could give the appearance of evil. It could mean that I'm condoning. It could mean that I'm even doing those things that that person does. So this is all that's at stake. But we see an interest. Let's let's go back to Zacchaeus. Well, he is a publican, but obviously, verse 3, it says, he sought to see Jesus, who he was. That's an interest. This man, Zacchaeus, who was all of this that we talked about, he had an interest in Christ. And, and, and just to, to complete the thought that we're not guessing here, his confession makes it clear 
that he was all of this. He wouldn't be confessing that he now needs to return money to the poor and to people whom he has taken by false accusation if he had never done such a thing. So this man who has this kind of life has an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's obvious we don't know exactly what he heard about Jesus. But he learned something about Jesus. And these are the things that possibly he's heard. Because these, these were the things about Jesus that as the news carried away would make a man like him in the category of a publican interested in Jesus. And, and you, you cannot but imagine that these are possibly the things that he overheard, that he learned about Jesus. Well, one of them, he may have heard that Jesus even had a tax collector who was prominent, who is now a disciple. Matthew, also called Levi. He may have heard that, that Jesus even went to his house for a banquet. Remember that Matthew had a celebration, a farewell to all of his friends because he was going to follow Jesus now. And Jesus went to that banquet. And, and you can imagine how news like those would have reverberated through those places. And secondly, he may have heard that Jesus told a parable. Remember, beloved, it wasn't too long. In, in some Bibles, it's, it's right on the next page. It's, it's still chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, remember, the publican went home justified, and the Pharisee didn't. You can imagine how a story like that would have traveled very far. And every publican possibly would have heard by now that this man Jesus says good things about publicans. But they're good things with a very clear qualification. Jesus never said that you can remain at that table and keep on stealing and be my disciple. Or you'll go justified after praying, just go back to your temple to your table. No, remember the story that Jesus told. That publican was no longer at his table. He was at the temple. He could not even so much as look up, and he was beating his chest. And his prayer was, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. So publicans would receive that narrative with mixed emotions. Some would say, did you hear? Jesus said, we're sinners. Just like those Pharisees talk about us. Yes, but did you hear the end of that narrative? He went home justified. The truth is we are sinners and we do not feel justified. I like that story. I want to meet the man who told that story. You can imagine a, Pharisee, a, a, a publican hearing that parable, how it would have had these powerful inclinations in their hearts. We don't know exactly and precisely if Zacchaeus heard this very parable. But it's, it's very close in the narrative of Luke. It's very possible. And what we know for sure is that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus so bad that he was ready to climb a tree to do it. And he may have also learned this. And this, this is very, very highly Possible because everyone knew by now that Jesus had this extremely loving and gentle bent to the lowly people in life. 
especially sinners, outcast people. He's already been rebuked by others because he receives sinners. He is eating and drinking with them. He's visiting them in their home. He lets them come near and even touch him and wash his feet. He's spending time with them and and loving them. That, That news was all over. So people who were of that kind of category, they flocked to hear the Lord Jesus. And so we saw the person, we saw the interest. Let's talk about the sight. Because now um, we see in verse 4, he ran before the crowd. He climbed up into this sycamore tree to see him. Because he knew Jesus was going to pass that way. And then it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And so now, put yourself in Zacchaeus' place. He's now seeing Jesus. He's identifying who Jesus is. He's probably having in his heart thoughts of, when can I talk to him? Will that time ever happen? Will I be able to hear one of his sermons? Or am I going to be relegated to the very back and and hardly be able to hear what he's he's preaching? A lot of what was happening in, in the dynamics was that Jesus would be preaching to certain crowds, and it would be, of course, there would be that margin where they were hardly hearing what was going on, but they could hear people trying to repeat or as if translate the sermon so it could go further. There was that kind of reality going on. And, and he was probably wondering, will, will I ever get in an ear into what Jesus has to say? But Jesus is catching this sight. And, and I believe what can be applied to you and me here is this. Are you interested in Christ? That you would do anything. You would run ahead. You would climb a tree just to catch a glimpse And in a spiritual way, beloved, this is why we open our Bibles every morning. This is why we come together as family and hold family worship. And this is why as you drive your car, you should make an effort to hear a sermon here and there or all the time. Because as you hear God's Word, you are catching a glimpse of Jesus. And this is why... And boys and girls, young people, why, why do we come to church? See, why is it worth it to wake up early, get ready, help mom and dad even make sure everything's ready? Don't be the last one in the car. Don't, don't, don't make it where it's always hard to get here in time, but just be like a Zacchaeus and, and, and see church as that one place that you can be where you can catch a glimpse of Jesus. And even come with this expectation, praying for the preacher that he will proclaim Christ and that he will make the Lord Jesus evident to you, that you will learn something more about Jesus or a lot more about Jesus. Even while you're learning a lot about your own heart, that you will learn about the Lord Jesus and you would catch this glimpse of who Christ is. And you notice what happens as he is looking to Jesus, how much he will learn about Jesus. And, and this is really what happens in, in the rest of the text. See, this is, it's, it's an immediate thing. We, we started with our first point, Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. But at this very point where he's catching a glimpse of Jesus, the sermon turns, the whole story there turns, and it becomes our second point, Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. And, and this is what happens, beloved. If you open your Bibles, 
If you join your mom and dad in family worship, if, if you're only a husband and wife and you only have babies, do family worship. You, as a husband and wife, open God's Word and say, let us read now, let us pray, maybe sing a hymn together, and you will see something of Jesus, no matter where you read in God's Word. And here, as we come to worship, we are seeing something of Jesus. And this is what happened to Zacchaeus. He had an interest in Christ. He wanted to see Christ, and he did. And the first thing he learned was of this gracious, glorious invitation of Christ. And, and what does that mean? He saw, you could say so many things there. He saw the concern of Jesus. He saw the love of Jesus. He saw the humility of Jesus. Maybe by now this man is thinking, this is so humble and so humiliating to be in a tree and climbing and, and people will think less of me. But the Lord Jesus is the rabbi. He is the teacher. And he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide at thy house. When you, when you look at the undignified things Zacchaeus did, because for a gentleman in those days, it was, it was not gentleman-like to run ahead of the crowd. That, that's usually what little children did, because they weren't worried about what people thought. Older people just didn't act or behave that way. Until, unless it was to go save somebody, somebody's dying, somebody in distress, you could run and do things. But what he did just in running was something that a gentleman did not do and much less climb a tree. But you see, Zacchaeus was acting like all of us should when it comes to Jesus. Don't think of your dignity. Don't think of your honor. Don't think of what people will think. Think of who you'll see. There are people today who are afraid to confess Jesus because they're afraid of what people will say. They might have been in their jobs and they've never let anyone know they're a Christian because they don't want people to know they're associated with Jesus. It's not how Zacchaeus was. He was like all of us should be. Like little children who could care less what people are thinking because who they want is to see Jesus. Because when he wanted to see Jesus, it is exactly what happened. And he saw Jesus in his grace. He saw Jesus in his love and his care and his humility. Now, completing the thought, you could think it was undignified to run and undignified to climb a tree. But Jesus, being a rabbi and a teacher and more, most of all, he is God. And he will go to the house of a sinner. And in that world that was so undignified that immediately we see in verse 7 the murmuring of the people saying that he was gone to be guests with a man that is a sinner. See, in the eyes of all these people who were judging Christ for that, they were thinking, who, who is this Jesus? He never ceases to surprise us. Is he good or is he bad? Is he now going to let us think that it's okay to be a publican? What, what testimony is he going to carry in this land? Well, Jesus did the most undignified thing in the eyes of the people because he was doing the most loving thing. He was seeking and saving that which was lost. And you see, Zacchaeus is the very one who was lost and he needed to be saved. And when he wanted to see Jesus, the Lord Jesus made him see him. You see what's happening. 
He saw Jesus in a saving way. And this is what's so gracious, beloved. If you come here, if you open your Bibles, every time you're hearing the Word, if you want to see Christ, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to see Him as your Savior, you will find Him as your Savior. It is impossible to allow a soul who desires to see Jesus, and Jesus would say, no, I have nothing to do with you. As if that would mean that you have more love and concern than He has. Do you realize the folly in that? And the reason I'm putting this category here is that there are many who think that way. I would desire Christ. I would be saved if only He would choose me, if only He would save me. And the implication is I'm so loving and so humble as to desire to be saved and God is just too busy with other things to save me. That is impossible. And I want to read a full section here, almost two paragraphs of J.C. Ryle. He was um, a, 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 an Episcopalian pastor who is, was very conservative, very godly. He wrote commentaries on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are wonderful devotionals to read at home. This is what he said about this very pas- passage. Unasked, our Lord stops and speaks to Zacchaeus. Unasked, he offers himself to be a guest in the house of a sinner. Unasked, he sends into the heart of the publican the renewing grace of the Spirit and puts him that very day among the children of God. It is impossible with such a passage as this before us to exalt too highly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot maintain too strongly that there is in him an infinite readiness to receive and an infinite ability to save sinners. Above all, we cannot hold too firmly that salvation is not of works, but of grace. If ever there was a soul sought and saved without having done anything to deserve it, that soul was the soul of Zacchaeus. Let us grasp these doctrines firmly and never let them go. Their price is above rubies. Grace, free grace, is the only thought which gives men rest in a dying hour. Let us proclaim these doctrines confidently to everyone to whom we speak about spiritual things. Let us bid them come to Jesus Christ just as they are and not wait in the vain hope that they can make themselves fit and worthy to come. See, this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. He is making Himself the guest of a man who is a sinner. Because he is showing to the whole congregation that was there and us here today. If you want to see Jesus, you will see Jesus. If you want to be saved, you will be saved. See, the problem is not just that we cannot, we cannot by our own strength. But the problem, sadly, morally, is that we do not want to. And see, that's the sin itself. That in our own nature, we don't want to see Jesus. See, in the whole text, how many, how many um, um, other sinners are up on that tree? Certainly there were other people who couldn't see Jesus. Where are all of them? Well, many were just curious. Many went on for their daily things and couldn't care less for Jesus. There are many Pharisees who were seeing Jesus only physically but not spiritually. If you want Christ... You will have Christ. This is what Jesus is teaching. A sinner who repents and who believes will be a sinner saved and blessed. 
And Matthew Henry explains what Jesus is doing. He's, he's bringing his own welcome. He opens the heart and inclines it to receive him. And it's everything um, Ryle said. See, that's happening here. Jesus is showing his generosity to save sinners at the same time without, without like even a comma in between these two thoughts. There's the reality that that salvation is utterly of the Lord because Jesus is the one who sees Zacchaeus, commands him down and goes to his house. This man's heart is changed and we can only say God did it. God did this work. He did everything. He convinced him of his sin. He he made him realize Jesus was worth seeing and trusting and believing. He he made him realize that his sins were so bad they they needed not only to be repented of, but but he needed to restitute so that he would show like a fruit of repentance. And it could be that prior he didn't believe in... Well, obviously he didn't believe in him in a saving way, and now he does. That, that's what God does in our hearts. He gives everything that we need. And where we see the salvation, and, and this is what's precious about this text, we find Zacchaeus saying something out loud. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and, I, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. If the text had ended there, in our minds we would think, okay, is this only from his mouth? Is, is he just feeling guilty? Did something really happen in his heart of hearts? We would have certain doubts. Because we know that's possible. We, we know that people can say, oh, I'm sorry, I did something wrong, and not truly have a converted heart. But the power of the passage is that connected with that, Jesus says, this day is salvation. Come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham, yes, yes, he's a publican, he's been a great sinner, but he's still a son of Abraham. He's telling the crowds there, there's hope in him. Because, and Jesus says, I'm the one who comes to seek and save sinners. And here's one that I have saved. And the salvation is made evident by what Zacchaeus says. That's why I say that the focus here is his repentance. There's a fruit of repentance in what Zacchaeus is saying. Think of, think of what this means. See, Zacchaeus is not here in a private conversation telling Jesus, Jesus, let me just tell you one thing. I'll, I'll give 50% to the poor, and I'm going to try to find out the people I stole from and give it back to them, and that's between me and you. That's not what he's saying. Think of the trouble he's putting himself in by proclaiming this out loud. Everyone within hearing is now a witness that if he doesn't keep his word, they're going to come knock at his door, especially those who believe they were robbed. You see what he's doing? He's literally inviting all those people who perhaps felt robbed by him to freely come to his door And if he would not receive him, he could call anybody in that whole audience as witnesses. So he's doing something. He's understanding what he's doing. He's literally confessing. And this is what we could say. Two things are happening. He's confessing and he is changing. Because in his confession, he's not just saying, I feel bad for what I did. He's doing this other word that often is the word that is Hard, but it is what proves our repentance. He's restituting or promising to do restitution. He confesses his sin publicly 
And he promises to change publicly. See, he's, he's doing this, these two things, and what he will confess publicly are two sins, and what he will restitute publicly are two major actions that he promises to do. It's not that restitution undoes the sin that we committed. It can't. We need to be forgiven and cleansed. And we, we can't undo what we did. But especially in the case of stealing, you can give back what was stolen. And, and this is what he's basically going to do. Let's, let's work through these little by little. The first thing is that he confessed not having given to the poor. And he now says that he will. And, and why perhaps he starts here has to do a lot with the fact that a Pharisee, by, not a Pharisee, but a publican, by the venue of their sin, they were covetous for money. So this man very likely was very unconcerned with the poor. Maybe he gave something of his alms to the poor. We, we have no idea of quantities. But by his saying that now he'll give half of his goods it's very likely that he hardly gave anything in terms of his offerings that would have gone to the poor. Now, it's important that we have this little review in our minds. The, 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 the Jewish religion, the, 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 the religion that God had taught His people, had an inbuilt system whereby the poor was to be cared for in a very loving and structural way. Um, let me start giving one verse that shows how, in a sense, this is like the fundamental thing. Every heart had to have a concern for the poor. Deuteronomy 15.11, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. So this was one of the general things. Before you think of structure and how much to give or not in the temple, etc., everyone had to have this concern. If I see someone poor, I need to be concerned for him or for her. But look, number one, there was a special tithe every, every three years. There was a special tithe that was to include the Levite and the priest, but not only them. Many of the tithes were mainly thinking of the priests and the Levites, but this one tithe every three years was to go beyond and involved the needy, namely the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Deuteronomy 14. Why the stranger? Because often the stranger had no networks, no family, and most likely they were poor. This, of course, does not mean a stranger who is very wealthy, because that would be the very one who could help other people. So the word stranger here is the idea of usually the foreigners were poor. The fatherless were poor. The widows were poor. A second provision was this, that there was an annual, in, in all the annual festivals um, that they were to go to Jerusalem, especially because that's where the festivals were held, there was to be provisions for the stranger again, the fatherless, and the widows. Um, they were to be entertained. While all other families were eating and having their festivities during those seven days that the feasts would last, they could not allow the poor people to go uncared for. That's Deuteronomy 16, 11. And then the sabbatical year, every seventh year, it was used as a provision of great amounts to be given to the poor. And then 
there was that ongoing provision where if you were a farmer and you had your fields, you were not supposed to harvest the corners. The corners were left unharvested so that the poor would have the freedom to come and harvest for themselves. That was the inbuilt welfare system of Israel. And then also, as you did do the harvest of your own fields, you were not allowed to go back and glean what was left behind. Those amounts that were left behind, fruits or grains, it was for poor people to come and finish off gleaning. And you read in Exodus 22 and also Leviticus 24, 25, 35, that interest was forbidden on loans to the poor. So, so all of these things we just ran by was the life of the Israelite. And everything indicates that this publican probably never had much of a concern for the poor. And, 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 I, and I purposely bring all of this because I believe among us, as believers, we need to realize that this is how God desires us to care for the needy. From our hearts, we see the needs. There should be a heartbeat of what can we do? How can we provide? How can I provide individually? How can we provide as a congregation? That first of all, there would be not a single needy among us who is unentertained, who is uncared for, who is literally lacking and suffering and yet part of the church. That that is to be unheard of. And then we are to go beyond. And if we have neighbors and friends who are in need, we need to go and try to help them. That's, that's the heartbeat of the believer. And so we find this happening in the life of Zacchaeus. He's now suddenly remembering Proverbs 19.17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that connects giving to poor people with righteousness. That your righteousness is shown by how you see someone who's needy and you seek to care for that person. And, and then um, there's that passage in Isaiah. I'll read this passage. Remember that the people were, were doing their fasts and in a lot of their fasting it was full of hypocrisy. And then God says that the fast that He prefers is this. In Isaiah 58.6 Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? So this showing love to the needy was was a, a plain demonstration of the righteousness of a person's heart. So that if you didn't do it, it would also show the sin and the wickedness of our hearts. And if we go all the way to the New Testament, we find James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God. This is the true religion. Before God and the fathers is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Holiness and love to the needy. This was the religion of Israel. It is the religion of Christ. And Zacchaeus was not practicing that. Money was his God. He took all that he could keep. 
but no longer. And Zacchaeus says this astonishing thing, I'm going to give half of all I have. It's like he made an estimate. I think I have robbed the poor. I'm not lending to the Lord. It's been so many years. Half of my estate, I'm going to sell and I'm going to give it to the poor and needy of the land. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that he confessed having stolen. See, the first thing is something he should have done that he didn't. Sins of omission. And now there's a sin of commission. He stole from many people. And now he wants to give it back. He was giving all his clients the freedom to come and knock at his door. Where he says, if I have taken anything. It's not meaning that he's wondering, or maybe I didn't do it. Uh, One commentator said it's the idea that he he might not have done that for everyone. Maybe for some people they paid the the taxes that they had to pay. But there were cases in which he knew he had stolen. So in those cases, he's putting himself vulnerable to say, I will return what was taken. And especially, again, by what Jesus says, that salvation has come to this house, we know that his confession is good, that what he's saying is, is, is how he put it. We shouldn't look for mistakes in how he said it. He was basically saying, in my work as a tax collector, I have wronged people, and I am willing to correct that now. And the law demanded in case of stealing to return twice. So he is doubling what the law demanded. The demand of giving four back was only in the case of stealing animals and selling them. And that showed a heart that was so full of wickedness that you didn't care for the farmers from whom you stole that you now have to give four heads of cattle back. But it didn't relate to money. Money was you give double. And he was doubling on that. Um, Philip Ryken, he, he says this, The way a man uses his money is one of the best indicators of his spiritual condition. Although Zechariah may have been a small man, he had deep pockets. And once he, became, he came to Christ in faith and repentance, he reevaluated his priorities and reached out to help the poor. And we see to give back what he has stolen. That's the fruit of repentance. And beloved, put all of this in this category in terms of application. Here we are, hearing a sermon, and we're looking to Jesus. You see Him in His love and in His grace, in His humility that He goes to be with a sinner. He offers Himself to Zacchaeus. But you also see Jesus as a powerful Savior, who is able to change a heart, who had been greedy and covetous. He had been a thief. He had been a chief in that whole category. He was a sinner. But you see here then the power of Jesus to save him from his sins. And not only to save him in his sins, but from his sins. And and here's something important to talk about. Um, Zacchaeus did come to Jesus as he was. He, He didn't get better to then be saved. He came as a publican, and people even argued and, 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 and spoke evil of Jesus, that Jesus was giving himself to a man as him, such a sinner. And here's something that happens, is, is somewhat of a confusion in the church today. We do hear realities like this, that we are to come to Jesus as we are, and we have to. 
If you think first that you have to fix yourself to be a little more dignified for Jesus to save you, you are seeking to save yourselves. You're just adding to your sins. It's never going to happen. You are to come as you are. But the blessed thing about the gospel is that you never stay or remain as you were. And this is what I mean about the confusion. Many people in the church say, oh, you come as you are. But in their minds they're saying, and you may stay that way too. But that's not the gospel. If Zacchaeus had come to Christ and went back to the table and continued sending sending thugs to go get his money back and, and continued never caring for the poor, this man would have not been a saved man. If you come to Jesus as you are and you stay as you were, you really didn't come to Jesus at all. This is what we're learning in our text. See, you're getting this glimpse of Jesus. He's not only loving and gracious, He is powerful and He is good. And beloved, no matter what your sin is, He will cleanse it away. And if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, He will give you power against that sin to put it to death, to mortify it, and to restitute if you must. Have you confessed your sins to God? And have you come to the Lord and said, Lord, in whatever I need to do to make things right, give me the grace to do it. Give me the strength. And and this is kind of how it works. To the degree that it was public is the degree that the confession should be public as well. Zacchaeus wouldn't have to have said this publicly if it wasn't true that all the poor people round about him knew how bad he was because they had never been cared for him and all those other clients who were just so oppressed and poor because he had made them so. So you see, this is what happens if there are people you've offended and they know and they hear now that you're a believer. Well, then you have some business to do. You have some phones to call. You have some doors to knock. And that will be the fruit of your repentance. And this is what we learn with Zacchaeus. Jesus is powerful to save. He gives faith and he gives repentance. And, and in closing, I just want to do one more thing. We, we looked at this passage and we connected with the last. And we saw that here we have a man whose focus was the faith he had. The blind man who wanted to see Jesus. Jesus healed him so he actually saw him. But the gracious thing is he saw Jesus in a saving way. And, and here we see this man, Zacchaeus, who also wanted to see Jesus. And he saw him in a saving way. And his repentance is the focus. Faith and repentance. But if we take another step back in the whole passage here, you'll know that we, we go back to a, another rich man. See, not too long ago, and, and really face to face, there was that rich young ruler. He met Jesus. There's a beggar. He met Jesus. Another rich man, and he met Jesus. But especially looking back at that one first rich man, when he turns back to his riches because Jesus tells him, if you want to inherit life, well, then sell all your property. Come and follow me. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Remember, Jesus identified this man loves his riches a lot more than he loves me in heaven. He needs to repent. He's not one who has repentance or faith. And he showed that by going back to all his riches. And then Jesus spoke of that 
impossibility to be saved unless the Lord is the one who works. And then he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And look how beautiful. This is a rich man. That was a rich man. That rich man went to see Jesus. But he didn't really want Jesus. He went back to what he wanted, his riches. Zacchaeus wanted Jesus. And he saw Jesus. Riches were involved in the big mesh of his sins. And it was no longer his idol. And his confession made it clear. But the glory is not that man's. Just as it is not the beggar's. The glory is Christ's. Because see, Jesus made it clear, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And beloved, for you to be saved, even this is your confession, Lord, I cannot save myself. Save me. I'm a sinner. Beloved, for you to even pray that way, it's already a proof that God is giving you the grace to do it. He gets the glory all the time. And He is gracious to save all the time. The problem, sadly, is that we don't go to Him. Not all of us, all the time. Let us be Zacchaeus's. Let us climb the trees. Let us seek to see Jesus. Have faith in Him and repent of our sins. It's impossible with us, but it is possible with God. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God, we do thank Thee, Lord, for these blessed examples. Thy grace, Lord, in saving Zacchaeus that day, giving him a new heart. And we plead Thee, Lord, the God who makes, who is the God of possibilities, of making things possible. We plead with Thee, Lord, that Thou would save other souls today and those who are saved, Lord. We plead with Thee the strength and the power to fight against sin, that our confession would be as Zacchaeus's, that we would even publicly confess sins that were committed publicly, that we would not be afraid of restitutions, even if it involves our, our money in our pocket or our honor in having to tell people that we have sinned and dishonored them and God. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to do so. And that we would only see Thee all the more in Thy power and in Thy grace, in Thy love and in Thy kindness. We ask, Lord, all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.